And as we come now to the third installment in this series and to chapter six, we're going to be dealing with um, the theme, uh, the finger of God. And actually, it's turned out that I had so much to talk to you about today, um, and I didn't want to shortchange it. So after the first service, I realized that, or during the my, my, the first service, I realized this is going to be a two-parter. So uh, we may not get to the reason why I've titled this part of the, of the series The Finger of God, but it's coming. Let me just, that explanation is coming. And uh, so I've asked you, as I said, to turn to Exodus chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading there in a little bit at verse 6. There'll be a couple other places I'm going to mention before we actually start reading there. Uh, because I want to do some introduction. As we get now into the section having to do with the ten plagues. And how many of you are familiar with what I mean when I say the ten plagues? Okay, for those of you who are not, if you've never seen Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments or the animated version, uh, Prince of Egypt, or uh, even Exodus, what is it, Gods and Kings that was just recently released. If you don't have that stuff in your mind, never spend any time in Sunday school, and shame on you. No, just kidding. <laughs> if, you, if you don't have that background, that's perfectly fine. Let me explain that part of what happens now as God delivers his people who have been slaves, slaves by, uh, enslaved to the Egyptians for hundreds of years, as God sets them free, he uh, brings dramatic, dramatic plagues upon an obstinate pharaoh who would not release them. And uh, that's what we're talking about, plagues. As we get into this, uh, it's important for us to see what's going on in the next six chapters, chapter 6 through 12, as more than, a ju than just a historical series of events, more than just a nice story to observe and to uh, and to uh, comprehend from afar. This is for us. Every word of this Bible is for us. But I believe that these chapters that we're about to get into starting this week and continuing next are for us at this particular season in the life of our congregation. And so I have to imagine that is for a particular season in your life too. And so it's, I want to make sure that we understand where we are and where we're going and we savor every moment of what the Lord would want to speak to us and do in us as we approach his word. You with me? All right. So here's some introductory kinds of things. First of all, a typological study of the book of Exodus is scriptural. And what I... For many of you, th this isn't going to matter at all. But it's important for me to say anyway. It's really important for me to go on the record with this. That looking at the book of Exodus from the standpoint of, of what, what is uh, pictured for us, the, the typology, the, the, the types that are there, the imagery, the, the uh, analogies that are here are for us to observe in that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, specifically, this is the Apostle Paul writing hundreds of years, thousands of years after this day. And he is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, 
that the events we're reading about in the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus itself, is supposed to be understood as images, examples for us. So that the, it says that when they pass through the Red Sea, that uh, it's a type or a symbol or an emblem or an example of people going through the waters of baptism. It goes on and enumerates a number of specific things that we're supposed to see in this book. And so it's not inappropriate. In fact, we are commanded to look at Exodus not just as historical information, but as something God wants for us to see. And I want you to note that in the verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, or our teaching, or our instruction is what that means upon whom the ends of the age have come. So we come approaching this book on firm ground, on firm foundation, as a set of examples and types that we are to understand. And then I want you to notice that the 10 plagues that we're, we're going to be dealing with over the next couple of weeks that are here are addressed to demonic personalities, not just for the breaking of the obstinate, stubborn will of a pharaoh. And it is not just, these are not just to mock the primitive spiritual beliefs of the people of, of Egypt. Although it's clear that these, every one of these 10 plagues is targeted specifically at some aspect of the idolatrous worship of the people of Egypt. But that's not what it's all about. Not just mocking that, that form of their primitive belief. It is to break the grip of the spiritual slavery God's people were under. Now turn, keep, keep your finger there in Exodus 6 because we're not going away from there. We haven't read anything there. But I want you to see Exodus chapter 12, six chapters forward, chapter 12, verse 12. And this is when God is speaking to, and he's talking about uh, the the last of the ten plagues, which was the, the slaying of the firstborn of every uh, household in Egypt. And, and I don't have time to, to deal with what that might bring up in your mind when I said that just now, but I'll, let me just say this. They didn't get there, but that every step along the way, they kept saying no to God. Anyway, they get to this point and God is describing what's going on and the purpose of it. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. These plagues were not just about Pharaoh, not just about some idols made of stone and wood and, and precious metals. God was dealing with confronting and, and casting down the demonic presences behind those things. Dear ones, there's a whole lot more going on than any of us can see. And deliverance, God setting people free, is about him going after the stuff behind the scenes. Spiritual bondage. And remember, we're talking, we defined this a few weeks ago out of Romans chapter 7 where the Apostle Paul says, it's, 
likely his personal testimony, but even if it's just him trying to summarize how the rest of us feel, he really nailed it when he said, the things that I want to do, the things I long to be, the kind of person I long to be in my heart, I can't be, I can't do. And the things I don't want to do, the person that I don't want to become, that's who I am. That's what I do. And he says, this is a captivity. He describes it as he's a captive. It's more than just bad habits that need to be corrected by self-discipline. How many of you know we have a lot of bad habits and self-discipline is a good thing? All right? Have a lot of it. Have a lot of self-discipline, okay? Break a lot of bad habits. But that won't do the job when it comes to spiritual slavery, spiritual bondage. And Paul describes it as a captivity, a bondage, a slavery. And I think we can all identify with that. I, the person I want to be. In fact, last night, I said some things that I, oh, I wish I could, oh, I wish I could take them back. As they left my lips, I, I said, God, why do I say things like that? Why am I that guy? I don't want to be. And I'm sure that you've been in that place too where you've, for the hundredth time, done this thing or acted out in this way or said this thing or took this drug or smoked this thing, whatever. And you've said, why? Paul says that's a captivity, that's a bondage. No amount of self-help, no amount of... What we do when we do the self-help thing, we just trade one for another. We trade one habit, one bondage for another, right? Because it doesn't stop. And we've, we're in this loop. And when you're stuck in that loop, when it feels like you're stuck, God wants to come after that, but it's not just you there's something else involved. There's another component to it. Spiritual bondage involves demonic activity, demonization. Now the degree to which a Christian can be demonized is a raging debate. Maybe you've heard this before. People will, people will say, well, I, you know, I don't believe that a Christian can have a demon. Well, who would want one in the first place, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating one. I don't think that's the, that, that the question should be, can a Christian have a demon? Long time ago, I heard someone say this, and it's really stuck with me forever. He said, well, I, that's the wrong question. The question is, can a Christian have a freedom? And I know the answer to that question. It's a resounding yes. We have a God in, who, in heaven who has made it possible for you and I to be free from that stuff. The cross of Christ settled the issue. The empty tomb settles the issue in the spirit realm. But there's some mopping up that needs to be done in how my life is functioning. And there's stuff that needs to be brought under the dominion of that, of our Savior. But, but it's not just. You, you get my point. It's not just. You've got to try harder. There's more to it than that. Now, just for the record, I, I want you to know that I, I don't believe, and I don't believe the scripture teaches that a Christian can be demon-possessed. I've seen people who are possessed face-to-face. -face. Maybe you have too. It's a very 
ugly, uh, very um, horrific picture of a person who's no longer there. A demonic presence has so overtaken them that what you see is not the person any longer. And I don't believe that someone who has been the recipient of the Holy Spirit taking residence of their, in their life could become that. But demonization, being, which is what is the term that the New Testament uses, it's really, you'll read uh, demon-possessed, a person was demon-possessed, Jesus cast the demon out of her. The, the, the term is demonized, harassed, messed with, screwed over by demons. That's what that means, all right? Pardon me. And, and there's a broad spectrum of how that works out. I mean, temptation, way over here on this end of the spectrum, temptation is being demonized. Yeah? It's not even sin yet. But demons are messing with you. The, Satan and his horde are trying to entice you into behaviors and stuff that are ungodly. That, that, they're messing with you. Now, that's not the extreme on the other end of possession but it's still a form of demonization. There's a broad spectrum in here in between those two poles that I would describe as oppression. We're going to read that word in just a minute or two from the Bible. I believe it describes various points along that way, various degrees of being held by or held back by or pressed into a life we don't want by Demonic spirits. Now, yeah, you can get, go overboard with this whole demon thing. But I want you to know, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a demon hunter. I'm not a ghost buster. I'm not looking for, you know, demons. Ooh, where are they? I've got to go out. You know, I don't care to have a conversation with demons and stuff like that, like some people do. I'm not. So you can go overboard with it. And what we end up doing when we do that is simply give the, our enemy more exposure and more credit than he needs to have or needs to be given, and we excuse ourselves from the pathway of maturity that the Lord will wish to. And when we blame everything on demons, then all we're doing is saying, well, I don't need to grow up in Jesus. Well, that isn't, that isn't right either. But to minimize, to, to um, fail to recognize the impact of the, of the, the, de of the demonic realm on my life is to uh, not pay attention to the way God would like to expose that to his delivering power. And so, so many believers live far below the, the dimension of liberty that, that Christ purchased for us. And, and it's my desire as we go through this book in particular for us to see that there's more going on than most of the time we recognize and how God wants to wade into that and break its hold over our lives. Jesus, when he stood up in the, in the uh, not the synagogue, but the, yeah, the synagogue in his, excuse me, synagogue in his hometown to declare, he, he was given the, the book of Isaiah and he was reading from it. Everybody thought no big deal. This is what happens every Sabbath. He's, he's reading from the scriptures. But he took that moment and took that passage and transformed it forever into this is why I've come. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, you can read about it. He said this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's why he came. This is big stuff for the Lord. Now, another issue that I kind of need to set up before we go farther and deal with the ten plagues is that there are two phases of deliverance. Two phases. And if we emphasize one or the other, we'll get it wrong. People are not sufficiently helped if we neglect one or the other of these things. I'll start with the second, phase two. Phase two of deliverance, God wading into the bondages of our life and setting us free is, involves uh, God helping us to learn to live in the freedom that he has provided for us. Now, people who have been slaves for hundreds of years, they lose their, they lose their perspective on liberty, as the Israelites had, surely. Their whole paradigm is about survival, their whole paradigm is about I do what I'm told even though I don't like it and I can't be or do the things that I might aspire to or long to. This is my life. That's how they see their world. That's the, the framework of their understanding. And for God to truly bring deliverance to these people and to you and me, he has to transform our way of thinking he has to transform our paradigm and our perspective and teach us how to live as men and women who can hold their head up in God and who can begin to see life on the terms God intended for us to see it and experience it as he has intended for us to experience it. And often in the process of, of deliverance, the, the, the ministry of deliverance that some of us may have encountered or might imagine this morning, that often phase two is completely ignored and neglected. Now, phase two involves a lot of me, a lot of me responding to God and allowing a, a relationship to be built with him. Uh, it has to do with a lot of me obeying God and learning to walk with him. So I'm involved a lot. You are involved a lot in phase two of deliverance. Now phase, phase two is God teaching us how to live in the freedom that he has made possible for us. Phase one is God breaking the hold on my life. And it's a solo act. Only God can do it. But he does. He has, in fact. And we're going to see as we make our way through chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, the dramatic fashion in which God demonstrates his ability to set his people free. Look now at Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. You've been patiently holding that spot so, so wonderfully that I'm going to actually read it now. We ended up last week, verse 1, where you remember Moses has come to Egypt and after all the preparation, which was the theme of our, of our study last week, the preparation of Moses to be a deliverer, not just a recipient of deliverance, but someone who can help others be free, which is really where we want to get to. As we watched Moses' development through those 
uh, chapters 3, 4, 5, and the very first verse of chapter 6, one of the things or where we end up is after all this stuff goes down, he ends up before Pharaoh saying what God told him to say. Let my people go. And Pharaoh laughs in his face and says, I don't know who you're talking about. This ain't going to happen. I don't know this Lord. You guys must be, I don't know what you're smoking down there in Goshen, but you guys have too much time on your hands. I'm going to make life harder for you. Moses comes out of, from before Pharaoh and the people of Israel are completely ticked off at him because he's made their life unbearably worse. And he's like you and I, just dealing with the disappointment and the confusion, and he comes to God with this prayer, of really, of accusation. Why did you bring me here? Why have you not come through? All of the, you, we, we read so many times, he says, you and your. Same kind of prayer I have often prayed to God in those times. And I said last week, God gets no pleasure or joy out of allowing us to have to come to the point sometimes when we fall on our face. But it has to be. Because we'll get bits and pieces of what we think is, of, and, and might legitimately, legitimately be God's will and plan in a situation, and we formulate, we can't almost help ourselves, we formulate this strategy and plan, and then we begin to try to carry it out. When God is like, wait, 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 wait. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he has to almost allow us just to, you know, fall on our face. And then he says to us what he says to Moses in chapter 6, verse 1. Now, now, you'll see what I will do. Now listen to what he has to say as a follow-up to that. Verse 6. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. This is, this is God's work. And he does it well. And as we now uh, kind of come to a conclusion for this morning and begin to anticipate where we go from here, I want to set the stage. The ten plagues describe the amazing process of God liberating his people. And there is so much for us to see about the nuts and bolts of how he does this in our lives. It's not just theory. It's not just some sort of philosophy. There is concrete steps and uh, concrete uh, ways that we can watch and then cooperate with God in the process of him delivering this people, this person from the slavery and bondage that I'm in. This is recording number 11145 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 15, 2015. 
This is the third message in a series titled, The Exit. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Finger of God Part 1.